Hi, weather friends. Welcome to the Girls Who Chase podcast, stories of women in weather and storm chasing. I'm Jen. I'm a storm chaser and science communicator, and I'll be your host. Girls Who Chase is a new initiative that empowers and inspires girls and women around the world to pursue the sciences, the weather, and their passions. On this podcast, we'll bring you the badass female and female-identified voices of the storm-chasing weather and science community to raise and tackle some real-life tough questions and issues and identify solutions and paths forward. You can find out more about what we're doing at girlswhochase.com. Now, on to the show. We close season two with a very special episode. I had the opportunity to speak with three leaders who are all making significant contributions to diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, in the weather space, and they're tackling it from very different directions. Dr. Stella Kafka is the executive director of the American Meteorological Society. She was previously executive director of the American Association of Variable Star Observers, a nonprofit worldwide scientific and educational organization of amateur and professional astronomers. Prior to that, she served as the director for two research and mentorship programs for undergraduates in Chile, as well as journal manager at the American Institute of Physics. She obtained her bachelor's in physics at the University of Athens in Greece and a master's and PhD in astronomy with a double minor in physics and geophysical sciences from Indiana University. After finishing her PhD, Dr. Kafka held a series of postdoctoral positions and fellowships, first at the Chero Tololo Inter-American Observatory in Chile, then at IPAC Caltech, and finally as a NASA Astrobiology Institute fellow at the Carnegie Institute of Washington. Dr. Melissa Burt is an Associate Professor and Associate Dean for Diversity and Inclusion in the Department of Atmospheric Science and College of Engineering at Colorado State University. Her research spans the intersection of atmospheric science and social justice issues. Dr. Burt also focuses on recruitment, retention, and engagement of students, staff, and faculty and is committed to fostering an inclusive college environment. Dr. Burt was awarded the Charles E. Anderson Award by the American Meteorological Society in 2021 for outstanding contributions to the promotion of diversity in atmospheric science and broader communities through education and community service. She's the vice president for the nonprofit 501c3 organization, the Earth Science Women's Network, and she's a co-founder of Science Moms, a nonpartisan group of climate scientists and mothers working to give our children the planet they deserve. Dr. Burt has a bachelor's degree in meteorology from Millersville University and a master's and PhD in atmospheric science from Colorado State University. Dr. Kim Klockow McLean is a senior social scientist with the National Weather Service and serves as the National Center for Environmental Prediction Coordinator for Social Science Applications. In this role, she provides social scientific support within and across the National Weather Service National Centers, including the development of processes to integrate and apply social science research findings to their products, practices, and policies. Prior to joining the National Weather Service, Dr. Clockout McLean developed and led the Behavioral Insights Team at the NOAA National Severe Storms Laboratory. Her research background involves behavioral science applied to weather and climate risk, especially in the communication of forecast uncertainty and response to hazardous weather warnings. She holds a PhD in human hazards geography from the University of Oklahoma, 
a master's in professional meteorology from the University of Oklahoma, and a bachelor of science degree in economics and synoptic meteorology from Purdue University. So we're recording this conversation roughly two weeks in advance of the 2024 American Meteorological Society's annual meeting in Baltimore, Maryland. Girls Who Chase will be presenting twice at the event on some of our early learnings and on spring training at the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, or DEI, symposium and participating in a variety of events at the meeting, thanks to a great relationship with our partner, the American Meteorological Society, or AMS. Today, we're going to tackle some historically gnarly topics with three important experts as part of a pre-meeting discussion. So let's get to know each of them a little bit, and then we'll dive into our conversation. After all, this is a Girls Who Chase podcast, and what would we be without getting to know our STEM experts just a little bit? So Stella, tell us a little bit about the origin of your interest in science. How do you get into astrophysics? Goodness, Jen. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. And it's quite an honor to be here with uh, colleagues of, of high esteem and who have played a very pivotal role in uh, DI at the AMS. I was always, uh, I was born and raised in Athens in Greece, and my parents always encouraged curiosity. So it was this dangerous child who was breaking things because I wanted <laughs> to see how things are made. Uh, so at some point from there, I, I really was curious about nature. I really wanted to see what's happening in there. And I think that the one thing I couldn't break in my narrow mind uh, was uh, stars. So when I went to high school, very interested in physics, I got my bachelor's in physics. Uh, and I, I saw all the range of uh, uh, research that I could do, but astronomy really captured my, my heart and my mind. Uh, so from there, I got my PhD from Indiana University. I'm a Hoosier at heart. Oh, uh, and I actually observed uh, as a researcher in some of uh, this country's and other countries' most prestigious observatories. And I got a different perspective of, of Earth and of uh, what's happening out there in the universe. It's interesting that you thought you couldn't break stars. I feel like we need to dig into this a little bit <laughs> at some future time. Um, was there someone, Stella, who supported you through that process or who you looked up to along the way? You know, Jen, when I wanted to follow astro astronomy at the University of Athens, uh, when I was a student, and that was like last century, don't tell anyone, uh, we were, uh, the first person I approached was one of our professors, a male professor of mine. And I said, you know, I'm really fascinated by, you know, what you're doing, you're an astrophysicist. Uh, and I would like to learn more. And I would like to actually go and, and become an astrophysicist myself. So what is your advice to me? And the first and only thing that came out of his mouth was, you will never find a job. And that killed me. Because just imagine, I'm very enthusiastic about everything I do. Just imagine me, like 17 or 18 years old, being super enthusiastic of getting a physics degree and being so passionate about astronomy, somebody telling you, no you should not follow that because you will not find a job. And I'm very passionate about what I do. And I'm very stubborn about what I do. And my first reaction in my mind is that you don't know that. So I went to a different professor, a female professor, and she said, uh, you know something? Astronomy is addictive. You have to be very careful what you're getting into. And I'm like, 
yes, I'm going to do it. Uh, and she's been a mentor since then. She's a family friend now. And I consider her my, my intellectual godmother. Um, she's been with me at all stages of my astronomy career. We've celebrated victories. We've celebrated challenges. Because at some point, when you overcome a challenge, that's a, a cause for a pause and celebration. Um, she has been supporting me like no one else. Like, you know, akin to my mother, who doesn't know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, but who is by my side, both my mother and father, um, you know, for my entire life. Um, I, so that was the first person, actually, outside my family in my life who had such an impact in, in my career and my future. And I model both my attitude and also who I am after her. She's an amazing person. Her name is Mary Contesas, by the way. She retired uh, about five years ago from the University of Athens. Oh my gosh, what a treat to find someone who's that invested in your success. I almost yes. want to say you're lucky to have had both experiences in a way, because the first is almost like you said, a challenge to kind of say, well, all right, then, you know, I'll show mm -hmm. you. And then the second is someone who truly believed in you as you went ahead and showed them, <laughs> which is That's pretty true. awesome. That's very true. Um, sometimes I think about it, uh, I think back in the past, and I wonder what would have happened though if I didn't have that kind of stubbornness and said, oh no, I can, I can do it for you to tell me what I can or cannot, right? So this is where it's really very important to have role models early on, and this is where your work is coming in, uh, to actually encourage young women, provide them with, uh, with real life scientists to follow and uh, actually be like but also encourage them to to follow their natural curiosity go go chase uh you know storms great do it you can of course you can do it that's extremely important at very early stages of our lives and careers so how would you sum that up into if you could talk to your 10 year, 10 year old self today or a 10 year old girl or a group of 10 year old girls, um, what would, what would you want them to know, uh, based on what you've learned? Stop stressing out. I was always too, too stressed out of the next steps. Uh, st stop stressing out and rely on your support group. People really want to help when they offer their help. They really do want to. And, you know, um, uh, Make sure to be there for each other, raise each other, listen to each other, support each other. You are part of a community, a very distinct community of power individuals who can make a change in the world. And don't let anyone, anyone doubt you for whatever reason. You know best. Love it. Thank you. Melissa, tell us a little bit about the origin of your interest in science and in, in atmospheric science specifically. Yeah. And, and thank you, Jen, for being, uh, for having me here as well. Um, and this is going to be a little bit of Stella, but I bet a little bit of inkling of Kim too, uh, with what I'm going to say here. But so I grew up in, in Maryland and actually I'm very excited that the AMS meeting is going to be in Baltimore. So very close to my home and in where I grew up. But as a young kid, I was deathly afraid of tornadoes. In Maryland, there wasn't a lot of tornadoes, but I was deathly afraid of tornadoes. And so every single day I would call the National Weather Service hotline. It was like 
Remember the days when you had to remember a phone number and you had to dial said phone number? I would call that hotline every single day to find out if we would be in a tornado warning. Like it it was like probably the first number I remember my whole life. Um, And I would call it. I would learn. I would, you know, read about tornadoes. I would email the local TV weather or not even email. I would uh, call the local TV weather guy to ask, you know, you know, what's happening? Can I come visit? Do all these things. So I guess long story short, I was afraid of tornadoes. That fear really generated something in me. And it goes back to that curiosity piece that Stella was talking about. Like it really sprung some sort of curiosity in me to want to understand, like, why do things happen around us? Like, why does the wind blow? How do those planes stay in the air? How are clouds formed? How do tornadoes happen? You know, all of those different sort of weather phenomena. And I sort of just like embraced it. And every single thing I did was related to weather. In fact, there was this, um, little insert that used to be in the Washington Post that was called the mini page. And in the mini page, they would always have this little section that focused around weather. And my grandfather and I would like look at it every single Sunday. And I just was like, it was like a thing. So like I put some of it to him, right. To my granddad who who knew nothing about the weather, but he really um, encouraged me to want to, you know, keep going it with it and to keep diving into it and to read about it and learn anything that I possibly could do. Um, and then from there, I feel like my, um, in high school, I had a biology teacher who just really wanted to help as many girls or young women stay in the sciences because she felt like she never saw us there. Right. And so if we had any inkling of interest, I didn't have a lot of interest in biology, but if I had any inkling of interest in science, she was going to figure out how to make that happen for us. So all of my projects focused on like weather. I did a lot of stuff around El Nino when people started talking about El Nino. Um, And so I think that really just got me going was to just to think about the fear, turn it into curiosity. And then when I learned you could go to undergrad and do meteorology and you didn't have to be on TV, I was like, I'm in. So that was my thing. But, you know, I think one of the the pieces that kept me going when I was an undergrad, I feel like there was a moment where I was ready to kind of give it up and quit because I wasn't finding my community and my space in the field. Um, oftentimes because I was the only woman in one of my classes or I was the only student of color in my classes. And I just really struggled in the early days of undergrad to figure out, like, is this really the space for me? Um And one of my professors back then just said, I think this is for you. You have to figure out where that place is for you. And she really encouraged me to seek out research opportunities. And one in particular was this opportunity actually in Boulder, Colorado, that I came to called SOARS. And that absolutely uh, changed my life. And I met people who like looked like me, who were weather weenies just like me. And I think I wouldn't be here today doing the things that I'm doing if it wasn't for finding the space in the community and people who I felt like really resonated uh, with me uh, in it all. You know, after having spoken with a multitude of storm chasers and now several experts in various arenas of weather, everyone's stories, including mine, seems to start with fear. (laughs) Yeah. So it's really fascinating how that then translates to 
uh, an utter fascination or an, an interest in learning all of the things um, yeah. and how how empowering that can be actually as well, right? That when you're afraid of something and then you do the work of learning how it works and what there is to actually be afraid of or not, um, how that changes things. Yeah. And, and it's funny now, like I don't, I don't do anything related to, to tornadoes or storms like that. Yet. But <laughs> yet. Okay. Girls who chase here I come. Um, <laughs> right. I just think it's, it's, it was just so cool. So I think about, again, like my grandfather, uh, clearly my parents were always behind me um, in this work. My biology teacher from high school, and I saw her at the store maybe like three or four years ago. And she was like, what do you do now? And I was like, oh, let me tell you <laughs> what I do now. So just like, you know, coming back to all of that. these people, it was amazing. Um, it was amazing. Like I will never forget Mrs. Parker in ninth grade biology because of that um, that inspiring moment, I think for me and just the continued to like, not let me give up. I think a, a lot of times, and I'm sure like Stella, the people that you refer to as well, like people see something in us, they know that we can do it. Um, even when we have all the doubts of ourselves. Right. And so really just wanting to push us and even the most gentle ways, or you don't even know that they're suggesting something that's really pushing you. Right. What one important lesson would you want to impart to your 10-year-old self or to other 10-year-old girls? I would say what you may want to do may not even exist yet, but you have all the things inside of you to be able to do it. Yeah. And look, even what I may want to continue to do today may not exist. And what I do right now, I didn't even know that I wanted to do or could create it in the way that I'm doing it. So. That's what I would say. And Kim, I look forward to hearing about your path into your current role and how you got started in meteorology and, and what that transition looked like for you. Sure. I actually came up doing meteorology and social science together, and there was a reason for this. So like Melissa talked about, I was also a childhood trauma case, but I did grow up in a place that had tornadoes. So I grew up outside the Chicago's, um, outside of urban Chicago, in the Chicago suburbs. And the Plainfield tornado happened in a community that was right next to mine in 1990. And I was about, you know, six, seven years old when that happened. And I saw that it was, it was an unwarned tornado that was an, an F5, and it killed a lot of people. And hearing those stories of just people who were in ordinary circumstances who were in life-threatening situations and people who died going grocery shopping, um, it tore my heart apart. And I just thought, I want to make sure that that doesn't happen to anybody else ever again. So um, at the same time, growing up in the late 80s, early 90s in Chicago, we had a really significant heat wave. Um, there, it was a very, very hot set of summers, especially the summer of 1988. It's a very famed one. But we didn't have air conditioning. My mom worked overnights at a hospital. So during the day, what my mother would do is pack my brother and sister and I up in the car and take us to the local mall so that we could have a place that was cool, that was air conditioned. And she would walk us around and I would just look at all of the displays and all of the things that marketers were doing to try to appeal to people. And I found it all very fascinating. I was 
really young, you know, like five, six years old, but I recognized that there was this interaction going on between the people who are making things for people and then the people who are consuming them. And I wanted to know more. So while I was very interested in meteorology because of that, that trauma that as Melissa described, it was sort of trauma turned like in back toward, okay, well, if the tornadoes chased me, I'm going to chase them back. Like, you know, became interest and then obsession. Um, at the same time, I was really interested in that communication piece and this like persuasion piece and how do we understand how people reason and um, make appeals to people. So in undergrad, I, I have to apologize, Stella, I did go to Purdue, um, the other the other side of Indiana. <laughs> um, but I majored in meteorology and economics, having no idea what I was going to do with it. And much like Melissa, where she pursued that wonderful opportunity through the SOURCE program, I found an undergraduate research program that was um, research experiences for undergraduates, um, or, or RU program run by NSF here in Norman. And there was a, an economist who was really interested in working with a senior scientist at the National Severe Storms Laboratory on the economic impacts of tornadoes. And that was just a perfect place for me to intersect. And that summer, I formulated a dream of being a federal social scientist at the National Severe Storms Laboratory. I just thought, oh, my gosh, this doesn't exist in our field at all. Um, but I spent 10 years after graduation, um, after graduating with my Ph.D., making space for this, especially in NOAA and taking on different roles and sort of groundbreaking in different ways. And I came to the Sitter Storms Lab after spending some time in D.C. And I became the first social scientist, federal social scientist in a weather lab um, here at NSSL and had um, a team at, at its highest point before we had the, um, the pandemic. I had 12 people in the team. And, you know, I could never, just like Melissa was saying, I could never have imagined something like that for myself. Um, when I was coming up, I, I was so stressed out. I had no idea how I was going to combine everything, but those dreams became evident as I followed the path. Wow. You actually, I think might've followed the path of what was my dream job at the time, except you truly made it happen. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I feel like we could spend two more episodes, so we're definitely going to have to have you back <laughs> to talk about what you've learned and, and on the communication side, especially because that, that's my favorite nerdy topic. Um, you, you mentioned the undergraduate program. Was there a person in particular who supported you through that? In my undergrad, it was mostly the person who growing up had been part of inspiring meteorology as a career path um, in general, and that was my mother. She came up um, very interested in science herself, but at the time, especially coming from a disadvantaged background, meteorology was not a career option that was realistic, nothing that was on the table. She needed something that would for sure, you know, build, build her up um, if she was going to make the investment to go to college. Um, you know, she put herself through working two jobs and, you know, doing it, doing all of the crazy things I mentioned earlier, she worked overnights my whole childhood, you know, part of that was still just something you can do when you're trying to balance having children and you don't have money for childcare. Um, so my mother worked harder than anyone I've ever known. And she was so interested in the weather. She had such a love. She found Tom Grizzoulis and all of the things that are like the sacred Bible of um, tornadoes, which I have the green 
Bible behind me on the shelf. Um, and she got all of his tornado videos and I would watch those. And that's part of how I even thought about Oklahoma. I saw growing up in Chicago, this place where, oh, well, they're studied, they chase these things and maybe I can do that too. So undergrad, it was really mostly just, you know what? My mom pushed through and persevered through all of these things and she loved this so much and I can, I can absolutely make this happen. I can make this a reality. Reflecting things Stella and Melissa both said, I stressed myself out so much thinking that there was some perfect path that I could follow. I was actually told by um, my meteorology professor my first semester at Purdue that there weren't jobs in meteorology and, you know, that most people don't make it through the program anyway. And I, there I was at an engineering school and all these classes with engineers and I was kicking their butt and they were all saying, oh, C's get degrees. And I was like, well, A's apparently don't get me anything. This is, this is junk. And um, I, I wish that I had known that I didn't have to stress out about all of that. The, the things I'm doing now didn't exist when I was coming up. I helped to make them exist through my vision and force of, of will. And that's something that a lot of people do now. You know, the innovation in our field is just so extraordinary that if you are passionate and have a vision, you can accomplish so much. I wish that I had known there was no single perfect path to follow and to trust, as Melissa said, that I had everything I needed to make my way on my own. Another thing I wish that my 10-year-old self had known is it's not nearly as important what you know. So there's, you know, this whole, gosh, I have to have all the classes. I have to have domination over this knowledge perfectionism that a lot of scientists come in to the field with. But what ended up making my career the most successful was kindness. I was kind to people and people were kind to me. And ultimately, kindness is just about the only thing that really matters to anyone. Um, that, you know, early on, I think we all, as, as kids, we probably were all kind of nerds, geeks, and had that, that fear of expressing that side of ourselves. And adulthood isn't a popularity contest in, in that way. A lot of the most interesting people that I know were the nerds, the geeks, just, you know, the most successful among all of the people that I knew were the people who, bottom line, were passionate and were kind. Yeah. One thing I'll say to that, Kim, um, I, and I was just saying this to my daughter the other day, because, you know, when you start kids off in elementary school, the whole purpose of kindergarten is the social thing, right? To to understand what does it mean to be kind? What does it mean to care for other people? And then as we s somehow matriculate through all these other grades and times and things, we forget about some of that. And so I think what makes us the best at what we do is our, our people skills, our social skills, and how we can connect care, be kind. Um, those are the things that really populate to the top uh, for us to be successful in how we navigate and how we manage and how we lead and how we work towards solving, you know, these grand challenges, these grand problems um, in, in our community. Yeah, it's kind of the fallacy I've found. Um, I taught public relations and natural resources for a while as a graduate student um, at CSU, actually. <laughs> and everyone was going into natural resources to go be outside and be in the woods and do things they thought were fun. And 
everyone I brought in to speak with them who was working in natural resources kept saying, it's 90% people, 10% the woods. I hate to break it to you. Like everything is about people in the end and, and how you treat people and your relationships because it changes everything. Um, so this, this is a great point that you were making. Hi, podcast listeners. I'm thrilled to tell you that our day-long Storm Chasing 101 training event is back on March 2nd, 2024. The annual virtual spring training event, and yes, the pun is intended, will provide foundational, operational, and accessible information and training material for storm chasers at all levels, from those who want to begin their chase education or brush up on the basics, to more advanced chasers wanting to learn more in depth about specialized topics. Just like in baseball, we'll gather every spring to shake off the rust, refresh our skills, and get ready to hit a home run. Not sure if this one's for you? If you've ever thought to yourself, I'd love to start storm chasing, but I have no idea how to get started, believe me, you're not alone. We've been hearing this over and over since we launched Girls Who Chase, and that's why spring training is designed to offer accessible, entry-level, foundational basics for everyone. Spring training is provided in partnership with the leading meteorology education organization, Comet's MetEd program, and will always be held virtually and remain affordable. Girls Who Chase is a global community, and we believe strongly in making science and learning accessible to everyone without the constraints of travel or financial hardship. And if you can't make it on March 2nd, don't worry. We'll be recording all presentations and they'll be made permanently available to registrants. For all the details, including topics, speakers, and the schedule, please go to girlswhochase.com slash springtraining. Okay, I want to turn now to the other important topic for this podcast, which is DEI in the weather space. And let's talk a little bit about why work in this area matters. Um, some of the work that AMS is doing in this area, and I know there was a recent equity assessment that was done, um, so would love to talk about that a little bit. Um, maybe a little bit about how initiatives like Girls Who Chase uh, are being brought into the fold and how we see them contributing to this, the change that we're hoping takes place um, in the near future. Um, and then what does that mean for folks who want to, uh, build a career in the sciences, uh, who consider themselves underrepresented or that they don't belong or that they're not welcome, um, or that they don't see themselves following a traditional path maybe. Um, so what are, what, what does that look like for them? What are the opportunities, um, that, are there. Um, and what are your recommendations for folks who want to get involved? Kind of what I said earlier was, you know, part of my struggle actually when I was, you know, entering into this community, entering into the weather, water, climate space was I really lacked seeing people who looked like me and oftentimes being the only person in many of these settings made it really difficult to feel like this was a place for me. So I think number one, like not seeing um, 
women, not seeing people of color, not seeing people from many different types of of, of backgrounds and experiences that really can put a uh, a hamper on, on us doing our best work because people may think that it's not a place for me because I don't see anyone like me. And to add to that, can you imagine how powerful it would be if we spend all those brain cells uh, thinking about science, thinking about solutions, thinking about society, listening to all voices and work together? without worried whether we belong, whether we're accept- accepted. Yeah. Without worried whether, you know, we walk in, in a room with our skirts and long hair and the first thing that comes into somebody's uh, mind is a comment about fashion and not necessarily listen to us. Whether we open our mouths and we have an accent and people already have an opinion about us. Yeah. Why does it matter? And you know something that doesn't really mean that we don't have our individual identity. That means that as scientists, our intellectuals were equal. Um, I think also um, we can't solve the problems that we're that our community that our that our planet is facing if we don't think about. Um, the most marginalized individuals, the most marginalized communities, they're the ones that are on the front of the changes that we're seeing from um, climate change, from natural disasters, from, from any of those big, big environmental issues. Like it's the heart of the economic piece. Um, thinking about um, people from many racial ethnic backgrounds, but also from the various social socioeconomic perspectives as well. And so understand or knowing that we need to do the work, but include the people as part of that work. Like we all need to be here together to collectively work on, on the issues. And I think that is an important piece that, that is a focal point of, of our community. And I know Kim, you probably have a lot of things that you can say on that as well. So I'll just say, you know, I was going to say, I think your answer actually just blends perfectly with points I wanted to make from a social science perspective. You alluded to so many beautifully important things. So, you know, one of the things that I think we know in just sort of um, studies about science is that scientists tend to, uh, you know, solve the problems that they see. And there is an issue there. If your whole field is people who are white and upper middle class, which is really what the field of meteorology has been, it has been sort of, as I talked about a little bit before, it's been a luxury career to pursue. You often have to come from a family of origin that is a little bit more secure um, to be able to pursue higher degrees in in something like this. And um, so there's been that real paucity of diverse perspectives and what we've seen go on for decades in our field as a result is this focus on technology is the solution to all of our ills. And that's going to occur to you if you, you know, live in a situation where that's your biggest problem. You live in a good, good home. You have the means to evacuate if you need to. And, you know, so you have all the means to receive messages. You have all the means to take protective action if you need to um, at your disposal. And you also speak the primary language. All these things are being put out in and, and so on and so on you don't see fundamentally from the perspective of people who are the marginalized and vulnerable. You don't see that you're contributing to building a system that advantages the already advantaged. And so it is really critical to bring in more voices just to help us as scientists do better science that asks 
a set of questions um, solves the problems that are the most pressing problems for everyone and not just for one set of people. And the flip side of this also, um, you know, we, if we want to reach the populations that are most vulnerable to the impacts of weather and climate extremes, there's a trust piece here that's unavoidable and very, very important. And I've encountered it as a social, social science methodology thing, but I think it, it actually is a weather service, you know, what they're calling impact-based decision support services concern. You need to also look like and be from the backgrounds of the people that you're trying to interact with, you know, the weather communication, it's not just a technology, it's a set of social processes. And there are different organizations communicating to each other and relating. And if you don't have the ability to speak a person's language or to, you know, if you're not, if you're from the government and you're trying to reach out to a population that's not necessarily all legal residents of this country who we care about, we care about their lives and their livelihoods too. But if you're not, if you're from the government, the federal government trying to reach out to that population, it could be really hard um, to have a trusting relationship there. And so you, we've seen this on the research side, in order to have the important discoveries about how those populations do access and understand and make decisions with weather information, we had to have people from those backgrounds who are doing that research. And that is true um, in every facet of our field. We will just need to have that inclusivity to make those connections. The other thing related to that, um, then I, I'll, I'll pass it to you, Stella, is um, I was having a conversation um, on a different podcast about climate extremes. We were talking about climate extremes, and it was a, a very diverse population of individuals that um, were a part of this conversation. And this one woman said to me, she said, you know, I didn't realize that climate change was something that even mattered to me and in my community until you were talking about the importance of it, specifically when it comes to the most marginalized or the most disadvantaged, because I just, she just wasn't listening to the information, right? And so really it comes down to communication. It comes down to who is that messenger and is that messenger trusted? Are they credible? Do they see that um, this person has, if it's the expertise or they value or they, they care about the communities in which they're working in? So I just think that's like another facet um, of thinking about how does these equity, inclusion, diversity issues show up within our, our weather, water, climate community? And of course, you have the AMS that brings everything together. Uh, it is part of our mission to advance the atmospheric related science technologies application service for the benefit of society. And we're talking about the benefit of society. As a word, this has um, equity, diversity, inclusion, belonging, social justice ingrained in it. In yeah. Prince Baj, it states that anyone anywhere should be able to benefit from the AMS's work. work. Uh, and at some point, especially when it comes to, um, to science, uh, around different aspects of climate and weather water related events a phenomenon we are familiar with it is crucial that people avoid misinformation and make informed decisions for themselves and communities and we all know how much information is out there just google any word you come it comes to your mind to actually see a plethora of even interpretation of the words which, uh, you know, I didn't even think, um, and, and the meanings that didn't think uh, existed, but at the same time, understanding what science tells us about the impact of weather phenomena is crucial for building those resilient communities and mitigating the risks associated with extreme weather events and climate change. 
And our role at the AMS, the AMS's role as a professional scientific society is very clear. Since we are an independent and trusted source of science, it is our duty to communicate trusted scientific information within our communities. It is our duty to combat misinformation. It is our duty to make sure that citizens connect with scientists and that scientists actually understand and listen and respond to public concerns and educate the fellow citizens. People are afraid of the scientific method because it sounds so out there. And you know, communicating that pretty much uh, it's a mindset, the way we're thinking about science uh, is very um, connected with the way we are acting in our everyday life is extremely important. And this is where AMS comes as a community and as a, a professional society. And I know, I know we want to talk quickly about the equity assessment that was done as well within AMS, because we're kind of looking, we're looking at DEI kind of at varying levels in this conversation, right? It's sort of DEI within the weather universe, DEI in science, and then also DEI just within these little microcosms um, within AMS or in specific areas of study in meteorology. So, Melissa, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and I would also add um, talking about it from the sphere of an integration or foundational component as well. So, thinking about it as equity and inclusion as the foundation and ensuring that everything that we do kind of crosses that continuum um, from the way that we do our science to the way that we have conversations with people to to the way that we think about how our work work impacts um, the the greater population. So I'm super excited um, with the AMS and at the AMS annual meeting um, that we have an opportunity to share um, some of the work that we found over the last year related to uh, the equity assessment. And so AMS embarked on this journey to really understand the culture of our society, culture of our community, to see our um, are people what are our what are their experiences? Do they feel as though they belong in the society? Do they feel that they've had um, good, bad, amazing experiences in all other ways? So we uh, have been working with this group to really assess the culture of um, the AMS from those who are members, from those who are um, um, outside of the membership but who are heavily involved with our group to really see what their experiences are like. And so we'll be debuting um, some of the results of this assessment at the annual meeting um, in a couple of weeks. We also have a number of other um, DEI-related activities at the annual meeting for, I can say, decades at this point. We've had celebrations of um, many different uh, communities within our society. If it's our our women who are part of the atmospheric science community, to um, our LGBTQ plus friends and allies, to um, many other different um, backgrounds of individuals just coming together to share, to network. Um, It's always a lot of fun (laughs) in those spaces as well. Um, I'm also excited that we have an opportunity um, to partner with Girls Who Chase with the Earth Science Women's Network. We have a fun uh, reception and community building event that we're doing at the annual meeting as well. And then there are a number of presentations, um, posters, oral presentations that really talk about the importance um, of equity, inclusion, diversity in the weather, water, climate community. So um, Girls Who Chase is participating in one of those sessions, but we have a number of sessions throughout the whole annual meeting that will focus on a DEI 
um, activities, social justice issues, and um, everything in, underneath the, the sky, clouds, stars, stars. Stars, <laughs> everything, including our own. And, you know, Girls Who Change has been uh, very pivotal in uh, our mindset at the AMS over the, the last year that we have been partnering with you. Uh, and that is because you added a component that was so missing from us in reaching those women in the cradle, if you wish, of their thinking, of their uh, of their career, of their uh, determining the future, but also uh, integrating science in their way of thinking um, and make science fun. I mean, running after storms, I hear is fun. I don't think I can break storms, but, you know, we'd be very willing to join you. But, you know, starting from, <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, it's, it's starting from the beginning, having these role models, having those support groups that keep people together, providing uh, role models from the society, from different backgrounds, different um, educational backgrounds, career backgrounds, social backgrounds, um, even different accents. Uh, and tell them that, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. All that matters is where your heart is and what you want to do with your life. And you know something? Don't, I'm going to follow what uh, Kim and Melissa said. Don't set things in stone. I'm an astrophysicist and now I'm at the AMS. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. There's a, a logical evolution there. So at some point, I feel that this uh, collaboration is bearing fruit already. And I really look forward to see how we are going to grow, uh, grow it and expand and grow together through that collaboration. Well, thank you, Stella. Um, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that you feel like Girls Who Chase is contributing in a significant way and that this collaboration is making a difference already. I, I can't wait to see what we're going to do together in the future. And absolutely standing invite to come chase anytime. Um, I try to break storms on a regular basis. And so we can see <laughs> what we can pull off together in that regard. Uh, maybe we could get all of you out in the field at some point here in the next season. That'd be fun. Um, so speaking of sky's the limit or star's the limit, I do want to talk a little bit about what is possible for folks who want to move into the weather space. What does the future look like? What exists out there um, outside, especially of traditional job opportunities? What kinds of schooling and background is required? Where do you recommend people go, et cetera? Like clearly, you know, there's sort of the traditional route that people come in, you know, um, if you think academically through meteorology or atmospheric science and, and you can get bachelor's degrees, you can get master's. Everyone do does not need to have a PhD. A PhD is not for everyone. So I guess I would say the, the thing that is important for people to realize is that no matter what level of degree, if that's the route that you choose to take, there is something for you in the field. I think the key piece is... Um, sort of having conversations with people, learning about how they got to where they are. There are things like internships. There are connections that you can do with the AMS. Um, there are many various routes that you can take that are beyond just the, the straight path. And I know that I didn't take a straight path. Um, 
And so just thinking about what is it that is of interest to you? Are you able to find people who are doing something in that arena, having conversations with people um, and, and sort of seeing where it goes? But I think also the academic world is changing, right? People um, see the value of education very differently than they did 30 years ago. And so I think there are many more tracks that are out there for hmm. people. And it's really just figuring out what is the best thing for you um, to get where you want to be. And adding to what Melissa just said, the AMS is providing resources for individuals to uh, explore different career paths uh, and also understand from professionals what gets into a specific uh, job, a specific career. Uh, we have a very active mentoring program. We have a podcast called Clear Skies Ahead that is uh, um, catered to pretty much anyone. Uh, and it's uh, presenting different jobs job paths uh, from individuals who are in that particular job, but also we have a very um, helpful career advising portal where individuals get to connect with advisors from different industries. Uh, they get to even ask questions specifically to individuals in an industry they could consider. Uh, they get to get their resume reviewed, which I think is extremely important because when I moved from an academic CV to a much more corporate-like uh, resume, I knew absolutely nothing. Um, and I did it by myself, and I guess I was lucky, right? It, it, it translated accurately, but it's not necessarily easy to think. Uh, they can even get into mock interviews, and uh, if, if they have a, an interview with uh, someone in industry and they come out of academia and they don't really know how that interview would go, and even have their LinkedIn profile um, reviewed. So everyone to take advantage of those resources. We build those resources for you exactly because we want you to be successful um, individuals, successful professionals. And also we want you to not think at any point that you're stuck with your career because it's very easy when we are in a specific um, sector to think that that's it for us and nothing else. So think outside the box, be brave. You're already brave, you're chasing storms. Uh, so think outside the box and take advantage of everything that we offer for you and also come to us with uh, requests and our ideas of how we can expand that service to you because we are a professional society. We're not just academic. We really want to grow those professionals within our society. Yeah. And to really think about all the sectors that the AMS touches, right? And so we have the academic world, but there is the private sector and what you can do in the private sector is amazing, right? I remember one of my first meetings that I went to for the AMS, um, we had a speaker that was there and they said, if you think about what you're interested in. So at the time I was like, I love weather. I also love fashion. And they're like, you can do weather and fashion together. We can figure that out. Right. And then I learned there was this company that really did forecasting, climate force forecasting for like the fashion industry. I didn't go down that route. That could have been a route, but that wasn't my route. Um, but so I think that there's always a, a platform and an arena for you if you really think about what are the things that are of interest to you. And I think the AMS podcast, um, Stella, that you mentioned, Clear Skies Ahead, is a great way to learn about the various different pathways and also the mm -hmm. various mechanisms that get people to those places that they're in. I think in the social sciences, it's so broad and open. And something that's also really, really important is that we have 
people from our field who are trained in meteorology who go into work in emergency management and in broadcast and all of the key roles of communicating weather information and making use of it for community decision making. And a session I wanted to, um, to preview for the AMS annual meeting, I'll be leading a panel on something that we started at the National Weather Association annual meeting for the National Weather Service, and that was integrated warning team meetings at the national level. So I work for NSEP, which is all the national centers, and it was just wonderful to have the Hurricane Center listening to broadcasters' um, input on changing and evolving different products, Storm Prediction Center, the same Weather Prediction Center. So we'll be reflecting on that and thinking about ways to go forward. So if you're interested in social science and its bearing on our field and our practices, that would be a great session to catch. Gosh, uh, this podcast is going to be just chock full of notes and excellent information uh, for folks who want to take a listen. And um, if you would like to check out more information about the American Meteorological Society, it's A-M-E-T-S-O-C dot org, uh, or you can Google American Meteorological Society and look for the 2024 annual meeting uh, or more information about their DEI initiatives. Um, And I think the last thing is just to say thank you to all of you for your time. I know you're all incredibly busy and to let us know where folks can find you if they want to ask more questions about anything you've shared today or chat about careers or DEI initiatives, etc. Well, I have a website where my publications and talks and things um, all live. And it's, I think, just um, kim.ouyoucreate.com. And otherwise, I'm terrible at social media that's publicly approachable. But if you do meet me in person, I will friend you on Facebook. (laughs) Okay, wonderful. Thank you. Like Kim, I'm horrible at social media too. But I do have a, what is it, X? Whatever. Um, You can find me at Dr. Melissa Burt. Or you can look me up at Colorado State University. I mean, I I don't do research anymore. So uh, for me, you can find me on social media. Uh, I am on Twitter, X, whatever it's called right nowadays. Maybe it will change tomorrow, but uh, Stella Kafka. I am on Facebook, although Facebook and Instagram, I reserve for pictures of my puppy, Ruru. And I can can be a subject of like a series of, of podcasts, how cute and how amazing he is. Uh, I am on LinkedIn, again, Stella Kafka, uh, and I'm trying through those media, especially Twitter, X, uh, and LinkedIn to amplify voices from the AMI. So if you are to actually reach out to me somewhere, I would I would recommend this too. I can also, also be found 45 Beacon Street in Cambridge, in Boston, Massachusetts, where our headquarters are. Uh, my email is skafka at amedsoc.org. Feel free to use it. It's a public email. Uh, and from there on, I will definitely will be found in uh, Baltimore in three weeks from now, where we're celebrating living with a changing environment. Today's episode was recorded and edited by me, Jen Walton. Our music is by Storm Chaser Lori Bailey in collaboration with artist Ines Lobo. 
Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. You can follow us at Girls Who Chase on Instagram and Twitter to hear about our upcoming events and see storm photos and videos from our badass contributors. You can support this initiative by donating or by becoming a Patreon member, where you'll get exclusive access to storm chasing content, forecasting information, and merchandise. You can find links to all of these at girlswhochase.com and in the show notes. Signing off for now, we'll see you under a mezzo.